back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping, keeping sports, sports with M3. Three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? Place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time to do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Good afternoon. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. It is time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School Broadcast. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything's going well from here on this Monday, the 11th day of April. Oh, what a what a time to be alive! A very, very good weekend for yours truly. Got started on Friday. Took a rare day off, and I'll admit it. I went against my word. I went against. What I said I was going to do about three weeks ago at this time when I said, oh, you're going to see me at Yankee Stadium this year. It would take a lot to drag me back. They would practically have to give me tickets for free. But then I remembered that I owed a birthday gift to a very important person in my life. So about a week before the game, I text my mom, asked her, hey, you want to go to the Yankees home opener? There's still decent seats available. She got excited. She said yes. And lo and behold, I spent uh, a good chunk of change to get us field-level seats along the third baseline to go to the Yankee home opener. Now, it was a a bit of a pain in the ass getting there when at about 12.30, we're on the subway, and all of a sudden we get to 150 or 145th Street, I think it was, and we had to get off to transfer lines because for some reason... The subway only goes up to 145th, the D train that it is, and doesn't go all the way to Yankee Stadium like it used to. And we're waiting there for about 15 minutes, us and uh, a lot of other Yankee fans, before we find out that another train was not going to be coming due to some kind of blockage on the lines and would have to walk the 16 blocks from 145th Street to Yankee Stadium. That was kind of annoying. Then we get to Yankee Stadium, and they've only got, what, four gates open? I mean, it's opening day, for Christ's sakes. And, you know, at least a third of your fan base is still standing outside at 1 o'clock trying to get into the building. So I wasn't able to get in for the Yankees home opener until the second inning, at which point the Yankees are already down 3-2 because Cole gave up a three spot in the top of the first. And 
before I get to anything else, Garrett Cole is the last person right now that should be complaining, making excuses about, oh, the pregame ceremonies changed up my routine. Uh, the, it was a bit of a distraction uh, uh, or a... Uh, I forget the exact terms he used. Maybe it was uh, unforeseen events. But after the way last year went, how he was one of the pitchers that was caught up in this spider tack uh, situation, how uh, fair or unfair, he's been almost built as the poster boy uh, on that. He It took a while for him to adjust. And then... Once he started pitching well, comes down with this hamstring injury that is looked at as the, I guess, excuse as to why he pitched like crap in the wild card game. He's the last person on this team right now that can make any complaints, any excuses, um, any reasoning on why he gets off to a slow start. So I don't want to hear him getting all annoyed about, oh, Billy Crystal being delayed in throwing out the first pitch, especially when you go up and give up three runs, including a home run to Devers before you can even sit down and enjoy the game. But they would come back, win on a walk-off in extra innings, uh, thanks to uh, Josh Donaldson, a base hit there up the middle, and would end up taking two out of three in uh, this series. Would you have liked the sweep? Yeah, but... Now, the Red Sox are a very good team, and they got some pretty decent pitching out of that kid Halka last night. So, you know, you take two out of three uh, from a division opponent, and you move on and take your shot against the Blue Jays in this four-game set coming up, who are viewed as the favorite in the American League East by most people coming into this season. But that's... You know, that's not really what my main mindset when it comes to the Yankees right now. That's not the the thing that I'm focused on. Because heading to the game on Friday morning, I'm sure like many other Yankee fans out there that are on social media, throughout the entire train ride from Metro Park into New York City, I'm looking on my phone, scrolling through Twitter, looking on Instagram, seeing if there were any updates on a potential contract extension for Aaron Judge, which I've said before, I don't understand why opening day was set as a deadline because we've seen plenty of times in the past where a player does that and would eventually a week to 10 days later end up signing a long-term extension uh, with the team anyway. But Aaron Judge had set opening day as a um, benchmark as the final uh, time that him and the Yankees would negotiate this year before he becomes a free agent at season's end. And unfortunately, the two sides could not come to a deal. And I was annoyed on a couple of fronts here. Number one, 
the little press conference or meeting with the media that Brian Cashman had at 11.15 on Friday morning, I felt was completely unnecessary. It was, it was one of these situations where essentially Cashman was trying to make Judge look bad, you know, try to get the court of public opinion on the Yankees' side of things. And if anything, it backfired. You know, the crowd still gave Judge a standing ovation at opening day, even when it was common knowledge at first pitch that he was not going to have a new deal and was going to uh, test free agency this coming uh, offseason. Plus, it was Cashman trying to get attention off of himself for what, A, some people have viewed as a average to subpar offseason uh, by the Yankees, and B, the fact that we talked about last week, he came off as a sniffling, little whiny crybaby, still complaining about the Astros and the whole sign-stealing scandal, the whole situation when it comes to you know the Astros and the 2017 ALCS. But as I said last week, he should be more concerned about the fact that the Yankees only scored three runs in uh, uh, Minute Maid Park or whatever they're calling uh, that place these days. I did not like how you know this was made public. This should have been held behind closed doors. That's what Judge wanted. He did not want to be dealing with negotiations through the media or through the court of public opinion. Because in some people's eyes, when you hear the numbers that were put out there and hear Aaron Judge turn that down, there's going to be those out there that say, oh, he's being greedy. He's asking for too much. When you hear that he turned down eight years for $230 million. A couple of things come to mind here. One, I think that he wanted this year, because remember, they have not even gone through his arbitration process yet. The Yankees um, have offered $17 million. He wants $21 million. I think if that was bumped up to say, 21 to 25 million this year, then maybe we would have gotten a deal. I don't think it's necessarily about the years because the years, if you're Aaron Judge, you can't so much complain about. You know, it, it stinks that you're not becoming a free agent until 30 years old, but that's what happens when you spent three years in college and then didn't come up to the major leagues until you were 24, 25 years of age. That, uh, an unfortunate break for him that we've seen other free agents have to deal with. I, But I can understand him wanting more on the average annual salary because, let's face it, this is probably the only time he's going to get this kind of big deal in his lifetime. This is his one shot at free agency. This isn't, you know, like Fernando Tatis last year when he signed that 14-year contract. He's going to be a free agent again when he's 
34, 35 years of age. He's going to get one more shot at you know making a decent payday for three or four years there in his mid-30s. Now, Carlos Correa, while he signed that three-year contract with the Minnesota Twins, he can opt out after this year as long as he has a Carlos Correa-type year and still get that big-money deal that takes him into his late 30s. For Judge, this is his one shot with him being a free agent as late as he is. So I understand him wanting more, you know, wanting instead of $30.5 million a year, which is a very fair offer from the Yankees. It's not like they offered him like $19 million a year. But I can understand from his standpoint, him wanting and saying, hey, when... When I play, I'm one of, at worst, the 10 best players in this sport. 10, 15, some, somewhere in uh, that range. He wants to get paid, maybe not on Mike Trout level, because he's, he's not Mike Trout, but he sees what Correa's making. He sees what Seager's making, what his own teammate, Giancarlo Stanton, is making and he wants to get paid in the range of the top five to ten uh, players in uh, baseball. He sees what Lindor is making, what Tatis is making. And it, it's fair for him to ask that for that because when he's been healthy, he has played at an MVP caliber level. And now it's unfortunate he's, ha- he's dealt with some injuries over uh, these first five years of his career nothing you know the, the weird thing is I think too much gets made up of him being injury prone because you look at the injuries yeah he had an oblique injury in the pandemic shortened 2020 season but the the two other times he's been injured once he got hit on the, the wrist by a pitch and the other time was he fractured a rib or when the when diving for a baseball in the outfield. It wasn't like he's been continuously pulling muscles like we've seen Aaron Hicks or Luke Voigt or even Giancarlo Stanton uh, be doing. Add to that, the guy has been a model citizen here. He's been everything you would want out of a homegrown player for your franchise. Represents himself well amongst fans, amongst um, the public when doing interviews on TV or radio. Doesn't say anything controversial. A lot, you know, a lot in the same way Derek Jeter uh, did. Although, you know, with Jeter, he would say, you know, absolutely nothing half the, the time. And, leave you wondering uh, what really runs through his mind. With with Judge, it, it's pretty plain and, and simple. He's made it known this is the only franchise he ever wants to play for. He wants to be a Yankee for life. So uh, it, it's, it's disappointing. It's upsetting as a fan, especially when, you know, if he reaches free agency – 
there's no saying what the Yankees are going to view him as because now it puts a lot of pressure on him to have another great season, have you know, an Aaron Judge-like season. And you didn't want this to be a storyline all year long. Say he struggles for the first month and a half of the season, is batting 220 and only has five home runs. Then it, it becomes, oh, the contract um, is getting to him, that the pressure of free agency is getting to him. Or... You no, know, he reaches free agency, 29, potentially 29 other teams become involved. You know, they say that all the time because, but we know, you know, the cheap teams like the Pirates, the Rays, the Royals, um, the Marlins, teams like that, they're not going to be getting involved. But there's always that one crazy, insane owner out there. Maybe, you know, one of the California teams like the Padres or the Angels. We've seen them um, have no qualms in throwing out big money deals um, when you least expect it over the last couple of years. Or look right across the river. This used to not be a threat to deal with, but now you have the Steve Cohen factor uh, to deal with. And whether... It be, you know, he's already thrown money at Scherzer, Lindor. He's still got another year of paying Robinson Cano. You, you've also got a potential contract extension for Jacob DeGrom. I mean, at some point you wonder how much, how many big money deals you can throw on one roster. But I think we've seen that he has no qualms or no issue with paying the highest uh, level of the luxury tax. And you know that the Yankees, it would absolutely, they'll, they'll never say it publicly, but it would absolutely kill them if they had to see Aaron Judge playing for the New York Mets. Now, it didn't bother them so much Robinson Cano playing for the Mets because he he left and went to Seattle and has had two PED suspensions to deal with since then. But this is something no Yankee fan out there wanted to deal with. And unfortunately, it's a reality that's going to be a story all season long. All right, I got a lot I want to talk about today. Mixing some NFL, NBA with the regular season coming to an end. I'll try to fit in a thought or two about the Mets as we go on here. So a lot to get to for the next oh, about 45 minutes or so. Glad uh, you could either check out the podcast version of this today or if you're watching on either Facebook or Instagram as uh, well, please sit back, relax, help put your feet up if you feel like it and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back.
Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Welcome back to Keeping It Sports with M3 on this Monday, the 11th day of April. Hope you all had a great weekend. I'll tell you who's having a great weekend, great time to be alive, in fact. It's all these receivers in the NFL. All of them, you know, they're seeing what their fellow players, what their teammates because let's face it they're all one collective unit uh when it comes to the players association the players union whatever you want to call it. but they see what uh their uh fellow receivers are getting as far as contract extensions especially the big time guys and they're salivating hell all of them right now are sitting back and saying thank you to the jacksonville jaguars for that ridiculous contract extension that they gave to Christian Kirk, who, you know, I've said before, Christian Kirk, good wide receiver, quality receiver, but does anyone out there believe that he should be getting paid like a top five to ten receiver in this sport? So they saw his four-year, $84 million extension from the Jaguars, and they're all salivating. No, Tyreek Hill was was salivating. Devontae Adams, like, if he's getting paid that, I better be getting uh, something even more I- insane. And we saw the, the latest example of that this week when the Buffalo Bills locked up Stephon Diggs to a four-year, $96 million contract extension with... 70 million of that guaranteed that will now have him tied to bu- the Buffalo Bills through the 2027 season at the very least in what they're hoping will make him a bill for life and listen we know that Josh Allen has a insane work ethic you you see the videos online and on television all the time that this kid wasn't just living and dying on his immense amount of arm strength that he was blessed by God with. He has truly worked at his craft and adjusting his uh, arm 
delivery, his motion, and, and the fact that he can sling the football now at so many different angles on the run. And you look at it from where he was at Wyoming to where he is now, it's night and day. And that's what's turned him into one of the best five, six, seven quarterbacks in the sport. But what has also helped him was not just his work ethic, but having a great coaching staff, having a coaching staff full of guys that should be head coaches in their own right. And we're, we're seeing Brian Dayball get his first crack at it. Hopefully Leslie Frazier gets another chance at things as well. Guys, be great mentors to him, not just with the X's and O's on the field, but how to handle life in the NFL. But what really changed things for him is getting Stefan Diggs. We we saw a noticeable bump in his completion percentage from year two to year three when Stefan Diggs uh, joined the Buffalo Bills in the, the trade from the Minnesota Vikings. And it was a trade that, no, yeah, the Bills gave up a lot at the time to get Diggs, but it was a trade that was necessary for the future of their quarterback. And, you know, it's very rare in this league. You know, Tom Brady is the exception of which you can win a championship without having a true elite level weapon. You, you see... You look all throughout history, yeah, teams have great quarterbacks, but they also have that explosive wide receiver that can shoot the top off of the defense and expand the field for an offense. There's only so many times that you can dink and dunk, do check down plays. You have to be able to go up top and go downfield for explosive plays, and that's what Diggs provided for uh, Josh Allen. And it made life easier for everybody else on uh, that offense. So, yeah, we're seeing all these wide receivers getting paid. We're seeing a, a lot of big money deals thrown around. But this is uh, a well-deserved contract extension for Stefan Diggs. Now, the Buffalo Bills almost had to deal with a, another situation, should we say, uh, in this uh, no, last week or so, depending on who you believe uh, with reports. Because there was a report out there about Tom Brady looking to leave the Buccaneers and go to Miami. That this whole retirement thing was just a way to get out of playing for the Bucks and Bruce Arians and join the Miami Dolphins. Uh, his plan apparently, and this is this seems absolutely insane. This seems even more insane than his whole retirement uh, scandal. His whole, or if you want to call this scandal, or whatever it may have been. But for him to think that he could retire, become a minority owner 
of the Miami Dolphins and then just name himself the quarterback of the team is one of the most insane things I have ever seen someone think up, ever seen in the in the world of sports. Every time you think you've seen or heard something crazy go down, there's something like this that just comes out of the blue. And, you know, the plan fell apart because of the Brian Flores uh, lawsuit. And uh, on... Unfortunately, um, we've we've seen that there are two other coaches that have come forward uh, with uh, pretty much the same claims and have joined the lawsuit in the last week. Get to that at, at some point. But I've also seen this conspiracy theory out there that now Bill Belichick sent the accidental text to Brian Flores just in order to prevent Brady from joining the Dolphins and having to face him twice a year. Now, why can't Tom just, I know he'll never come out and say it, but no, hopefully when his career is done, hopefully he can be honest with us and just tell us that A, the retirement was about getting out in front of the story and that he was annoyed that there were reporters out there that came out and announced this before he was truly ready to make a decision. And B, he didn't want to play for Bruce Arians anymore. That there was a lot of fire to the smoke coming from the stories about Bruce Arians and him having a differing of opinions when it came to game planning. That they got along nice in the first year, won a championship. But then as we have tend to see over time, when a team wins championships, that's when the egos start to come out. That's when the everybody wants the attention more so put on them. So, no, for the Buccaneers, they they got their quarterback back at, at the very least. Uh, for whatever may be the reason that he decided to come out of retirement. But this was just, when I saw this pop up on ESPN the other day, I'm just like, like really, is is he really trying to make himself a story each and every single day? Now, two teams that, would love to have this kind of quarterback drama surrounding them are the Eagles and the Saints. The Eagles, who are still trying to figure out if Jalen Hurts is their long-term guy at quarterback, and the Saints, who will it remains to be seen uh, how well Jameis Winston comes back from the torn ACL and what they view Taysom Hill long-term. But... They made a significant trade in this last week uh, with the Saints receiving two first-round picks from the Eagles, picks number 16 and 19 in this coming year's draft, and a sixth-round pick from the Eagles for pick number 18 in the draft, third and seventh-round draft picks in this coming draft, a first-round draft pick next year, 
and a second round draft pick in 2024. Uh, on the Saints end of things, you start to wonder, you know, as we know, this quarterback crop for this coming draft is not viewed as the deepest or viewed as, oh, you could get a star stud quarterback in this draft. No, not a lot of people are too high on the likes of Matt Corral or Kenny Pickett, meaning that one of, if not both of them, are probably going to fall out of the top 10 in this draft. I mean, are the, are the Saints, could they possibly be higher on these quarterbacks than most people are? And using this as their opportunity to bump up in the draft and select one of uh, these two. I, I've seen several mock drafts in the last couple of days that have them attached to Kenny Pickett. And with the fact that they have Jameis Winston back on a two-year contract, do they view it that Jameis could be their bridge quarterback to their long-term quarterback in one of these kids? Because clearly Taysom Hill is not the answer. But this is very much a winning trade for the Eagles. You know, they had three first-round draft picks. Here, you... You essentially traded one of them away because only one of them away because this is more or less a a switch in positioning and draft. Yeah, you lose this number 16 pick, but you move up from 19 to 18 in the draft. So you still have two first-round picks at 15 and 18, positioning you to get two potential weapons to help out Jalen Hurts. And this puts a lot of pressure on Jalen Hurts now because it's almost a make-it-or-break-it season for him. Because I don't think we came to a true definitive answer on whether he's their guy long-term. And with, depending on who you want to trust, who you want to listen to, uh, as far as all of these so-called draft experts, they say that next year's crop of quarterbacks next year's quarterback prospects are better and deeper than this year so uh, you know now the eagles put themselves in position with having two first rounders next year where even if they have a better than expected kind of season you know no one thought that they were going to be a playoff contender this year people thought that they were going to be a joke after hearing Nick Seriani's opening uh, press conference, but they surprised us and, and snuck in to the playoffs as a wild card. Even if they have that same kind of year next year, or say go eight and nine or seven and ten, and aren't in position to draft the quarterback, they've given themselves enough ammunition so that they can use these two. Dr- first-round draft picks and trade up with a team, say, like the Jaguars or the Jets, who maybe they feel comfortable with their young quarterback but don't have as great a year next year and want to build up draft ammo, now the Eagles have put themselves in a great spot. Now, I would be remissed 
if I didn't discuss this. And this has made my heart ache since I heard this news late Saturday or about you know, midday through uh, Saturday while I was at work. But of course, you know, the NFL family is mourning today over the passing of Dwayne Haskins, who, you know, can we for a second just take out of it what you thought of him as a quarterback, what, what you thought of him as a player? Because quite frankly, that doesn't matter. Who, who knows how things went at Washington and who knows what his future uh, was with the Pittsburgh Steelers? For this kid, and he was essentially still a kid, a 24 years old, to lose his life so tragically. And we still don't have all the details surrounding it, why he was trying to cross that highway uh, early Saturday morning down in South Florida. But he was hit by a dump truck while trying to cross a a a, a highway on foot it was interstate 595 westbound one of the westbound lanes near the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport in uh Broward County when the dump truck hit him and uh, of course was killed on impact and the incident happened some some point in the early hours of the morning. You hope that he wasn't intoxicated in any way, wasn't doing something stupid. And this was more that, you know, you've, there were reports that he had been down in Florida working out with teammates like Najee Harris in recent days, preparing for the upcoming uh, offseason, preparing for next season, where, you know, maybe he had a shot to compete for the Steelers quarterback job. You know, it was going to be between him, Mason Rudolph, and Mitchell Trubisky, with Trubisky getting having the upper hand. But just made me sick to my stomach, sad to see this. He's only 24 years old. Uh, he grew. He was actually born in New Jersey, Highland Park, New Jersey. And after a wonderful couple of years at Ohio State, in which he finished third in the Heisman Trophy um, voting in 2018. Led the the Buckeyes to a Rose Bowl. Now, as I said, who knows what is true, what really happened in his time with the now uh, Washington Commanders. But, no, he's only 24 years old and he had it. He had his whole life in in front of him. As far as we know, you never you never heard anything bad about him off the field. As far as being into drugs or being part of any gangs or hanging around the wrong crowd or any anything like that. It's just very sad, very unfortunate that this happened. And my heart goes out to the Haskins family to. The Steeler family, to Steeler fans, to NFL fans, everywhere. Help anyone that has 
no, even some semblance of a conscience. I don't know how this could not make you sad to see Dwayne Haskins lose his life so tragically at only the age of 24. We'll be back. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Welcome back to Keeping It Sports with M3 on this Monday afternoon. Remember, as always, you can find Keeping Sports with M3 across uh, social media, whether it be on Facebook, where you can find all of the links for the podcast, facebook.com slash Keeping It Sports with M3. Find me on Instagram. My Instagram handles for the podcast are keeping underscore it underscore sports underscore with underscore M3 as well as find me on Instagram M3 underscore four underscore life and on Twitter can find me at M3 Rosansky as well as the podcast Twitter account at keeping it sports. So the regular season in the NBA has finally come to an end, 82 games, and now we head for the postseason. A postseason with intriguing matchups or the potential for in, intriguing um, matchups. As you know, there are a couple of teams that are waiting to see who they will play in the first round. Now, the Heat, they're going to have to wait all the way until Friday before we find out who the eighth seed is in the Eastern Conference. The Boston Celtics will know who they're playing by tomorrow night as the winner of the Nets-Cavaliers play-in game will be their opponent. And then the next two matchups. You have in the 3-6 matchup, the Bucks versus the Bulls. The Bucks, who I think should just roll over the Bulls. The Bulls, who... You know, played the essentially the second half of the season without a lot of the guards on their team. They're not getting Lonzo Ball back uh, this season. You, you saw Zach Levine was in it and out. They they very much played inconsistent down down the stretch, and I think that's what hurt Demar Derozan's chances from being in, 
seriously considered in the MVP conversation. Plus, you know, whenever you're a defending champion, you have it within your mindset, as the Bucks probably do, to want to justify, want to back up that championship. They want to prove to people that it was it wasn't just, oh, they got by the Nets because they were injured, or that the the Philadelphia 76ers were nothing but a three-ring sideshow with all the Ben Simmons nonsense that they had to deal with all year long. Now, the 4-5 matchup could be pretty interesting because there's a lot of pressure on the Philadelphia 76ers heading into this series against the Raptors. First off, the Raptors, it feels like they're playing with house money. They, they're coming off of a year in which they missed the postseason. They were playing every game essentially on the road. They, get, they finally get to play games in Toronto again and show that you know last year was more of a flukish kind of thing based on the circumstances, if anything else. But you're going up against a Sixers team in which Joel Embiid has been whining and complaining that he should be the MVP, although he did win the scoring title uh, thanks to LeBron sitting out the final couple of games of the season. And you've got the James Harden factor. James Harden, who has forced his way out of the last two situations he's been in, whether he... He didn't think he could win anymore with the Rockets. Then he didn't want to deal with the Kyrie Irving drama in Brooklyn. Finally got to where he claims he wanted to be all along in Philadelphia with Embiid and the Sixers. And there's a lot of pressure on Harden because unlike some of his contemporaries, he doesn't have a championship on his ledger. He does not have... He has one finals appearance, and that was with Durant and Westbrook. And we've seen a lot of choke jobs by this guy in the postseason over the years. So you mix his postseason history along with the nonsense that he's been doing the last couple of years. There's no one, no one, I think, that has more pressure heading them on them into this postseason than does James Harden. He has got to play big, and at the very least, he's got to get the the 76ers to the finals. It's you know, it's one thing if they get to the finals and run into, say, the Suns, the Warriors, someone like that, and are just you know, outmatched or outgunned by them. That's almost understandable. But after everything you've done the last two years and how you've created such drama around yourself the last couple of years, you don't get to a finals this year as you're heading into your free agent season. There's going to be a lot of people looking at you wondering, A, are you worth the trouble? And B, are you ever going to get it done? Because you look at this might be his best opportunity. Now in the Western Conference, 
one versus eight, same scenario. The Suns are going to have to wait till Friday to see who uh, they play. And in all likelihood, whoever they play is going to be a flat-out doormat. Whoever they play is going to get smoked by the Phoenix Suns because you know that they've seemed like you know men on a mission in their own right after coming so close to winning a championship uh, last year, having a two nothing lead over the Milwaukee Bucks before letting that slip away and losing four consecutive games and. There's only so many times, you know, we always think tomorrow's guaranteed. It's not. You, know, the, you, never, you never know what's going to happen in the future of someone's career, someone's life. And there's only so many more opportunities that Chris Paul is probably going to get at this because it's not like he's getting any younger. And you know, with this becoming... Know more and more Devin Booker's uh, team, and with the fact that Devin Booker, you know, he surrounds himself with so many high-profile people in, in his life. At some point, if they don't get the job done, maybe he tries to force the issue, tries to force his way out of Phoenix. Looks for the bright lights, looks for the grander stage if he can't you know, get it done with uh, this group. Now, you look at the 2-7 matchup, the Grizzlies um, will be going up against the winners of the T-Wolves, Clippers 8-7 uh, matchup, and I thought it was very important for the Grizzlies, I said this last week, for John Morant to come back before the postseason that he did, came back and played about 27 minutes on Saturday night against the Pelicans and looked like he hadn't missed a beat. Now, after a nine-game absence with with the knee soreness, I'll tell you one thing. You know, yeah, this is with this Grizzlies team. They made the postseason last year, um, were a pain in the ass to deal with. But there, there's a lot of fight and a lot of hunger in this team after you know, what they probably look at now, bowing out early in the playoffs last year. But also, there's nothing that's going to happen this postseason that's going to intimidate them, that's going to have them feeling like, oh, we're just some little engine that could. When you consider the fact that they played about, what, 30% of this season without Ja Morant. And it wasn't just, oh, he missed a significant chunk of time in the first half. And no, then they got things going. They, they lost him for time early in the season and in the second half of this season. Lost him for nine games. And they seemed to thrive under that. They, no matter who was out of the lineup, whether it was John Morant missing time or in January when they missed uh, Dylan Brooks for about a month there. This Grizzlies team showed that they have a lot of fight, a lot of hunger, a lot of toughness in them. So they're, they're not going to be intimidated at all through 
out this uh, postseason. And I would expect them to have a relatively easy go of it, whether they're going up against the T-Wolves or the Clippers, because, you know, the Clippers just got Paul George uh, back in the mix of things. And you add to the fact that, can, can you really expect, knowing his history, that Kawhi Leonard is just going to parachute in and become a significant part of this postseason uh, for the Clippers after missing a year with a- ACL injury? He has a habit of taking longer to come back from an injury rather than uh, a shorter time frame. So I would expect to see the Grizzlies in the second round at the very uh, latest. 3-6, you've got the Warriors against the Nuggets. Uh, Interesting tidbit here, but when you think about it, it shouldn't be too, too surprising that the Warriors have not won a playoff series since Kevin Durant went down with the torn Achilles in the 2019 finals against the Raptors. Remember, they would win that game, but ultimately end up losing the series with his injuries and then Klay Thompson uh, going down to a torn ACL. Plus, Kawhi Leonard uh, was just a man possessed in that series. And while they're going up against uh, uh, Jokic and uh in what's been another MVP caliber season for him. Remember, he's doing this without two of his uh, best teammates. You know, Jamal Murray is probably not coming back this postseason. Michael Porter Jr., who knows what to expect out of him with all of uh, the issues he's had to uh, deal with. And then the 4-5 matchup, you've got uh, Mavericks versus Jazz, where... Both teams are coming into this from an interesting standpoint. First off, you have Luka going down with a slight calf injury uh, yesterday that you hope is not a hindrance for him. You, you hope that six days or seven days, depending on when they get their playoff series started, is enough time for him to recuperate and lead this uh, Mavericks team um, on a bit of a postseason run. But with the Jazz, you're looking at possibly the end of the line here because you have, and it's weird when you think about it because you have a very good coach in Quinn Snyder. You have a, a good roster here, you know, led by Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and Mike Conley. But now there's all these reports out there that they may break up this group at season's end, which. I don't understand why. They're always in the playoffs. It's not like they're a team that is always hovering under 500 and hovering around the lottery. They are consistently in the mix here. Can't really understand why you would want to break up this group. Yeah, you could get a lot back for Donovan Mitchell, but you have a young, homegrown superstar under team control and you can spend the most money to keep him around. It's just, I mean, are the jazz like, you know, do they think that, do they think that they should have won a title by now with this group? When you consider that you've been in the same conference for a while with the Lakers, with the Clippers, when they 
when they had a healthy Kawhi, uh, with the the Warriors who are always a threat. I mean, are they viewing themselves as something that we, quite frankly, don't see? Is that is that maybe why they think? I mean, and it's not like these guys are all a bunch of old men. I mean, Mike Conley's in, in his thirties, but. Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are still in the prime of their career. I mean, you get the right talent around them and catch the the better matchup, to catch a good break. You never know when it comes to an NBA postseason. We've seen crazier, crazy things happen. Now, the play-in tournament gets started uh, tomorrow with the two seven-eight matchups, and. Now, as a Brooklyn Net fan, even with the Cavaliers dealing with some injuries, I do take them as a serious, legitimate threat. You know, the Nets, they can't go into this just acting like you can roll the basketball out there, even though they probably have the best two players on the court in uh, this game. Because we've seen that teams can get crazy hot for a game and and pull off what is viewed as an upset. And the, the fact that this Cavaliers team has been in the mix all season long, even though they fell out of a guaranteed playoff spot in the last about 20 games with the injury to Jared Allen, they've still been a very game group of uh, players all season long and want to avoid the you know the second play in game at all costs. I've actually seen this conspiracy theory out there by some Nets fans on social media that try to overthink things, that try to, you know, want to be the smartest guy in the room. Oh, maybe the Nets should lose tomorrow night. Then uh when the the 9-10 matchup or win the against the 9-10 winner on Friday and play the Heat in the first round. And I'm like, no, no. What, like, what are we talking about here? Purposely throwing a game at home just so that you could play the Heat in the first round rather than playing the Boston Celtics? I, am, am, I missing, am I missing something here? Has, has something happened that has... No, me confused has me thinking that, oh, the Heat are a noticeably easier matchup than the Celtics. Because no matter what, you still got to start the series at home. You still have to play games while your opposition is resting. Plus, like I said a moment ago, you never know what could happen in one game. We, In all likelihood, I expect the Hawks to beat the Hornets in the 9-10 matchup on Wednesday. You lose the 7-8 matchup, then you got to host the Hornets at Barclays Center on Friday night. And we saw the Hornets come into Barclays Center, what, about 10 days ago, something like that, and beat this Nets team, have a, a second half where they seemingly couldn't miss a shot. So it is possible for the Nets to lose to the Hornets. So don't screw around tomorrow night. Get the job done. Get Give Durant and Irving some 
some time to rest before a first-round matchup against the Celtics and then take your best shot there. That's, you know, that's the only way that you, this Nets team is going to have any chance at making some kind of run, should we say, in uh, the postseason. Rather than you know, trying to screw around and looking for the best matchup. You lost the right for the best matchup a long time ago. The fact that you're in this scenario right here as we sit right now. So, like I said, just get the job done. Don't screw around here. And also, as a side note here, this idea that Ben Simmons could join the Nets in the first round of the playoffs to me, is as much nonsense as Tom Brady tried to become the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. The guy hasn't played all year long. What, what What would be the point? What would the Nets actually gain for this guy who has dealt with issues, whether it be physical or mental or a combination of the both, of both, since last postseason, forcing his way out of Philadelphia, why in the world would you just plop him in to a postseason series after not playing all year long? Is he really going to increase your odds that much? If anything, he might make a mess of things considering he has not played an NBA game since sometime last May. So to me, they really should just put Ben Simmons in bubble wrap, call it a day, and tell him we'll see you in October. Got to take one last break here, come back on the other side, close things out uh, for this week. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Welcome back to Keeping It Sports with M3. A few more minutes left here, but still got a couple more things to uh, finish up on. Now, I I failed to mention this last segment, but uh, there's one other thing that the Sixers are going to have to deal with in this postseason, and it hasn't gotten as much attention because the guy isn't exactly a superstar. But Doc Rivers and uh, company have got to be annoyed as all hell about Matisse uh, Thibault. Uh, the fact that 
he only received one dose of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. And now he'll, he will not be eligible to play in games three, four, and potentially six up in Toronto against the Toronto Raptors due to Canada's vaccination mandate. And he would, when asked about this, and this didn't even become public knowledge until yesterday, said, I just didn't feel like it would benefit me. I didn't see any benefits outweighing what I could seek from alternative uh, medicine. I'll tell you, if Kyrie Irving had pulled this kind of shtick or some other superstar, we would be all up in this guy's grill, all destroying him. Thankfully for Matisse Thibault, he's, you know, he's a you know, kind of middle-of-the-pack emerging young player for them. Well, he's probably the fourth or fifth most important player on uh, the Sixers. And if the Sixers were to fall to the Raptors, more of the blame would be put on either Embiid, um, Harden, or Doc Rivers if he makes some kind of coaching blunder. But that's some... That's someone that's a significant part of your rotation that's taken himself out of the postseason series, at least for a couple of games. I'm sure Joel Embiid is not too happy to hear uh, that news. I'll get to the Lakers in a minute, but I want to give a little bit of credit to the New York Mets who got off to a three and one start on their season, winning three out of four in their opening weekend series against the nationals. And the tone was set to me with Thursday night's game, because you did not know what you were going to get out of uh, uh, the Mets with the fact that they weren't going to have uh, Jacob deGrom uh, starting from that. You were going to have to, uh, go to a seemingly a a rookie in Tyler McGill to start that game, but he came out energized. He I, he was throwing about four miles an hour harder than I've ever seen him him throw, and gave them five shutout innings. Even working out of a jam there uh, in I think it was the third inning, had the bases loaded, gave. The team uh, a great chance to win that game, and the Mets, you know, took care of business uh, against the Nationals. Who, let's face it, outside of when Strasburg pitches and watching Soto play, it's going to be a very long year down there in our nation's capital for Davey Martinez and company. But you know, the Mets bats came alive, gave, um, scored. 19 runs, excuse me, over the course of this four-game series. Had a chance to pull off the sweep yesterday, but due to some rare bullpen blunders by Buck Showalter, uh, faltered there in the eighth inning, along with uh, you know Pete Alonzo fumbling uh, the baseball a couple times, saying that this is why... You know, if you watch that eighth thing, that's exactly why I've, I've said that Pete Alonso should be a DH for the Mets and Dom Smith should be starting at first base um, 
more days uh, than not because no, especially late in these games where outs are so crucial and you're going up again. You've got your big guys coming out of the bullpen. You don't want them wasting extra bullets and having to get more outs than necessary because Pete Alonso either can't make a comprehensive throw to second base or is underhanding the ball to uh, home plate. Those kind of things just cannot happen. And the the more confusing thing to me, I know there was a left versus left uh, matchup to this, but why you wouldn't, why you would bring in Chase and Shreve back for what is. I know it was only an inning and a third he ha- had pitched, but it was twice that he was sitting down and getting back up. So it was essentially a third inning he was coming into when he's not typically done that over the course of his career. Then you know you look back to the top of the eighth inning where you had two runners on. You're up 2-1. Two, two, you have Cano at the plate going up against a, a lefty and Sean Doolittle who's not that good anymore, but still, it's a left versus left matchup. Well, I know Cano's looked okay to start this season. Why you? He hasn't. He hasn't earned the right with the Mets that he should be locked in, staying in the full game. Why that wouldn't be a spot that you bring in J.D. Davis? Because then in the bottom half of the inning, you could just switch things around. Bring McNeil in from left to play second base. Have double switch Dom in from uh, the DH spot to play first base there. I, I just, I didn't understand that that line of thinking, sticking with the left on left uh, matchup when you have J.D. Davis on the bench and he hits pretty well against a uh, lefty uh, hitting. But, you know, you, you see a little feistiness out of this Mets team and that's what, uh, is brought to the table with the Bucks, so Walter. But the thing about it is, I'm not going to be judging the Mets on what they do during the regular season. I expect the Mets to be a playoff team this year. Now, if DeGrom re-injures himself and misses the entire year, or the Max Scherzer hamstring issue turns into a bigger issue, then you know, all bets are off. But... Now, I'm going to be judging the Mets on what they do in the playoffs this year because now you have Buck Sowalter as your manager. He's a good regular season manager. His his problem is the postseason. Now, whether the, the media elite likes to admit it or not, this is a guy that time after time fails in the big spot. So that's what I'm going to be judging the Mets on. Not whether oh they take three out of four against the Washington Nationals in the first week of the season or how they do against the Phillies uh, in Philadelphia this week. No, it's going to be all about the postseason when it comes to the, the Mets and whether they can make a run. And this is finally the time for Buck Showalter to win a championship. Now, thankfully, for the final time, at least until July probably, I will be talking about the Los Angeles Lakers, who that three-ring sideshow came to a crashing halt. Um, 
with the regular season coming to an end last night, they finished the season at 33 and 49, 11th in the West, failed to make the play in. Think about it. This team was thought of as co favorites with the Brooklyn Nets to win the NBA Finals this year, and they failed to even make the play in. A play in that LeBron James when this was created, was completely against. And last year, it was the only reason they made the postseason. This year, they failed to even hang on and make that. I mean, it was just a disastrous year on all fronts when it comes to the Lakers. And unfortunately, if it if it hasn't happened already uh, today, Frank Vogel is going to lose his job as Lakers head coach and it sucks for him because you know we're just less than two years removed from him winning the NBA finals in the bubble a championship that I still to this day believe they would not have won without the the three-month off break because of injuries Davis was dealing with the fact that LeBron uh, was essentially crawling to the finish line at right before uh, things got halted because of the pandemic, but hey, everybody was under the same circumstances and they took advantage of the opportunity. Credit goes to them. But two years removed from winning a a championship and he's already getting the ax on missing uh, the postseason. You know, this isn't, this isn't completely Frank Vogel's fault. If, if anything, I'm putting him at, you know, third or fourth in the uh, blaming here. The blame really should go on Lakers front office and on LeBron James. Now, Westbrook probably, you could argue, goes uh, ahead of him, but you probably mix Westbrook in there with LeBron as far as the blame is concerned. Now, it was... And why is Rob Palenka safe in all this? Because... Frank Vogel was his choice. That so that that makes no sense here. But you could really see where this Laker franchise is heading or where they want to head based on last week. When you know, I don't think it was unprovoked that Magic suddenly just went on TV and spoke out against LeBron James saying he deserved a lot of the blame um for this Lakers roster construction, bringing up about how they passed on DeMar DeRozan in favor of Russell Westbrook, bringing up how if they w- would have gotten DeMar DeRozan, they probably could have got Buddy Heel, probably could have kept pieces like Alex Caruso on uh, this team and would have had a better constructed roster rather than having to dip into the G League several times this year and bring in guys like Stanley Johnson or you know relying heavily too much on um, this THT guy and essentially getting nothing out of him when, remember, he was thought of as untouchable last offseason. Magic didn't just say that no, by himself. He was clearly sent by Genie Bus to say that because you know Magic has been a Laker since the time he left college. Genie Bus, growing up, 
magic has always been there. So they they're like brother sister. They 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 have that kind of bond there. She clearly told Magic to say that to try and take control of the Lakers back from LeBron James because his roster construction since joining the Lakers has been very much hit or miss. It was a hit with getting Anthony Davis and trading away all the pieces that they had to to get Davis because it won them a championship. But since then, it's been miss after miss after miss. You know, bringing in Russell Westbrook, that was a miss. Didn't, didn't exactly get what you expected from the likes of Carmelo Anthony or Marc Gasol this year. And Anthony Davis, when it was supposed to be his time to take over as the alpha dog on this team this year, once again was hurt and missed a significant chunk of this season. But blame for this also goes for Jeannie Buss because you know while she's trying to deflect blame on LeBron and rightfully so with how he constructed the roster, Jeannie Buss has been listening to a lot of outside voices that she shouldn't be. Mainly the Rambuses, Kurt and Linda Rambus, who are her best friends, especially Linda. And I don't even, I don't know if they even have official job titles in the Lakers organization, yet they're making calls on roster construction, coaches' decisions. I I hate to say this, but somewhere right now, her her father, the great Dr. Uh, Jerry Buss, he's rolling in his grave seeing the way his daughter's running uh, this franchise, where rather than her and actual basketball people being in control of things, She's listening to what her best friend is saying what they should do. And that's why the Lakers are in this mess. Yes, LeBron James deserves a fair um, share of the blame. No doubt. I mean, the, you can't tell me that the Lakers wouldn't be at the very minimum in the play-in and probably you know, the fifth or sixth seed this year if they had DeMar DeRozan because the, the Westbrook situation was a mess. While he was listed as a point guard, we know that Westbrook needs the basketball in his hands. And you're not going to be the true point guard bringing the ball up and down the court on the, the Lakers as long as LeBron James is still playing. And with the way that they built things, they built things expecting that LeBron could still play 80 to 82 games in a season when you know he's in year 19. He's going to he's earned the right to nights off. He's earned the right to maintenance days to make sure he makes it through a full year and can give it 100% in the postseason. I mean as much as he may want to lead the league in scoring and lead the league in minutes. Father time, that's the one area that he's losing to. That's the one area that his body is saying, no, you can't do that anymore. You've got to pull back your minutes and you've got to pull back on the number of games that you play, which I'm sure kills him inside because this guy's a basketball savant. 
and he loves the fans and he he wants to give the paying customer everything that they ask for but it it just you know we all thought that it was going to go one of two ways it was going to either be very good or it was going to be an absolute mess and that depended on how Russell Westbrook played it just so happened that it was the absolute mess Davis hurt Westbrook disengaged when he didn't have the basketball in his hands and them looking like an old, very stale, stagnant team for most of the season. But hey, we don't have to talk about this three-ring sideshow anymore, at least until the offseason, until we figure out where they're going to trade Westbrook. Do they try to trade Anthony Davis? What, what is he going to do to make sure he's at his healthiest going into the next season? And what's LeBron James' long-term future with this franchise? And will Jeannie Buss stop listening to outside sources? But until then, we can enjoy the NBA postseason and what is hopefully a very exciting postseason for basketball fans everywhere. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports with M3 for Monday. April 11th, 2022. Everyone have a great night. Have a great week. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And I'll talk to you guys again. Same time next week. Until then, peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I... Have had enough of you! Thank you for all the fun! Thank you! Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you, I don't want to hear you, and I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.